0: All right, all right. How is everybody doing tonight? All right, so good to see you guys. So glad to have you out tonight. My name is Austin. If you are new, I would love the opportunity to meet you after the service tonight. But what we do on Monday nights, if you're new to young adults, is we dive into the Bible, we study God's Word, and with the goal of growing in our faith, learning more about Jesus Christ. And so let's do exactly that. Open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus 19, and twenty, if you need a Bible, raise a hand we 've got a couple of guys coming around with Bibles, and we 'll get you a Bible uh, and turn with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter nineteen and twenty. We are going to be looking at the Ten Commandments, so we are essentially going to be beginning a six weeks uh, six week series starting tonight on the Ten Commandments, so this is week one, and so the following five weeks will be Two Commandments uh, per night. So tonight is just the intro. We're just going to open up and talk about the significance of the Ten Commandments, the purpose of the Ten Commandments, what in the world are the Ten Commandments doing, do they still apply to us. So tonight, in our brief time uh, together, we're just going to intro the Ten Commandments, and then over the next following five weeks, we'll look at, uh, because there's ten commandments, we'll look at two uh, each night over the next five weeks. So I'm excited to start this series and just dive into the Ten Commandments and uh, see what God has for us. Um, so if you're there with me, which I hope you are, let's start in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19, starting in verse 1. It says In the third month after the children of Israel had, had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from uh, Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. Jump to verse 16. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, It's smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And then jump to chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, "'I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt.'" out of the house of bondage and then God goes into the 10 commandments. So here's what I want to do. I want us to say the 10 commandments out loud together. And so we've got we're going to go 2 by 2 till we hit 10 and we're just going to see how this goes, all right? So I hope you can read, which you know, you look like a, an educated bunch. So here we go. Number 1, you shall have no other gods before me. Number 2, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And number 10, you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Very good. The Ten Commandments. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord, we come before you now, and we are excited to study your word. We pray that you would give us fresh eyes and fresh heart, Lord, and a fresh mind, and we would really just um, just learn more about you, and our desire is to encounter you tonight and to fall more in love with your son Jesus by reading your word, and we can do that even in the Old Testament. So, pray that you would open our hearts, open our ears, and open our minds, Lord, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We love you, and we look forward to seeing what you have for us tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Uh, the Ten Commandments, one of the most influential documents in all of history, especially for America. America was founded based upon biblical principles and based on the Ten Commandments. This is what Justice William Rehnquist said in 1980. He wrote, It is undeniable that the Ten Commandments have had a significant impact on the development of secular legal codes of the Western world. And in 1950, President Harry S. Truman. He said this about the Ten Commandments in the Bible in general. He said, The fundamental basis of this nation's laws was given to Moses on the mount. The fundamental basis of our Bill of Rights comes from the teachings we get from Exodus and Matthew, from Isaiah and St. Paul. I don't think we emphasize that enough these days. If we don't have a proper fundamental moral background, we will finally end up with a totalitarian government which does not believe in rights for anybody except the state. And so this is what um, a couple of obviously uh, prominent people within our government have said about the Ten Commandments, and there's plenty more other. I mean, I picked two out of many in my research, and yet more and more we are continuing to push the Ten Commandments out of our courtrooms and out of our classrooms and out of the school system. And in 1980, there was a U.S. Supreme Court case about whether or not to publicly display the Ten Commandments, on posters within the classrooms of Kentucky. And in that case, the majority of the justices ruled that it was unconstitutional to have the Ten Commandments posted on a poster and set in classrooms. And they declared it to be unconstitutional, and this is what they said in their ruling. Uh, they said it was unconstitutional because if they were to have any effect at all, being the Ten Commandments, it would be to induce the schoolchildren to read Meditate upon, perhaps to venerate and obey the Ten Commandments. End quote. I mean, this is this is. I mean, I find this hysterical. That if we post the Ten Commandments on posters, perhaps the children might even read and obey them. This is unconstitutional. This isn't right, and so they made it uh, an elite, an illegal thing within the schools of Kentucky back. And this is back in 1980. So we're not even talking recent. This is this is 30 plus years ago. And then 50 years ago, just in doing some research, these were the top problems in the school system. 50 years ago, the top problems within the public school system, according to this article, number one, talking to friends during class. Passing notes was number two. Number three, chewing gum. Number four, cutting in line. Number five, running in the halls. Number six, being late for class. Seven, littering. And number eight, dress code violations. We don't want the dress code violations in the school system. This was 50 years ago. And then today, these are the top problems, the top major problems within our school system. According to this article, number one, drug abuse, two, alcohol, three, vaping, four, theft, five, assault, six, verbal and physical abuse toward educators, seven, rape, and eight, murder. So how's this working out for us? The Ten Commandments not being allowed within the school systems, within the courtrooms. How's it really working out for us? And this is what our uh, educational system and our, our, our nation really is, is trying to more and more move away from the Ten Commandments, by which really are, are the foundations of our nation. But yet, you know, and I completely understand this question. People still have, and, and Christians Okay, so what is the relevance and the significance of the Old Testament and more specifically the Ten Commandments? So I see that they're valuable principles. You know, you might have not, you might not, you, you might agree with, you know, the stance that, yeah, they should be still within the public school systems and within our courtrooms and because they're great moral principles. But what is the significance to me? Because I thought we are in the New Testament. I thought that we are more so under grace, that Jesus has come, that we're no longer under the law of the Old Testament that were saved by grace through faith in him. So how did the Old Testament rules and laws, specifically the Ten Commandments, still apply to me today? So we have to understand something about Old Testament in general. So within the Old Testament, some rabbis uh, counted up all of the laws within the Old Testament, not just speaking of the Ten Commandments, and determined by counting the laws prescribed by God that there were 613 laws within the Old Testament. 613 laws within the Old Testament by which the Jews and the Israelites would obey. The Ten Commandments essentially are the summary of the 613 laws. So the Ten Commandments are basically a summarization of the 613 laws within the Old Testament. There are three divisions of the Old Testament law. Moral, dietary, and ceremonial. Three divisions of the Old Testament law. So if you took all 613 of these laws and you divided them into sections, they could essentially be divided into these three sections, moral, ceremonial, and dietary. All right, the moral aspect of the law really had to do with your attitude and your behavior and your conduct. The ceremonial aspects of the law all had to do with the sacrificial systems and the feasts and the festivals. So you might have read in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, when Paul even talks about the new moon festivals and the different feasts that feasts that the Jewish people would would have and would would perform, and the sacrificial system, of course, the killing of uh, a lamb or an animal. Uh, this is all the ceremonial aspect of the law, and then there's the dietary aspect of the law. There were things that they were prohibited to eat, things that were permissible to eat, things that were not permissible to eat. So within these 613 laws. These laws could be divided into these three divisions the moral aspect of the law, the ceremonial, and the dietary. Now, the ceremonial and the dietary aspects of the law, after Jesus came, are no longer intact. They are no longer binding. All right? And this is what we know from the New Testament in Colossians, the book of Colossians. You don't have to turn there. But in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verses 16 and 17, this is what Paul says. Uh, Colossians 2:16 and 17 So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or sabbaths which are a shadow of things to come but the substance is of Christ So what Paul is saying here is listen the ceremonial aspects of the law all the feasts and all the festivals they were pointing to Christ They were pointing to Jesus, and we could have a whole Bible study in a week series long on the different festivals and feasts and how they were symbolic of Jesus. So Paul says, listen, all of those feasts that we've been performing as a Jewish people, all of those festivals, they were ultimately pointing to to Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came, he was the fulfillment of all of that. So we are no longer bound to all of those ceremonial laws. And then the dietary laws are also no longer binding and this is what Jesus says in the gospel of Mark in Mark chapter 7 if you're taking notes Mark 7:18 through 23 this is what Jesus said about the dietary aspects of the law Are you thus without understanding also do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart but into his stomach and is eliminated thus purifying all foods and he said, "What comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man." So, what is Jesus saying here? Well, he he's confronting some of the Pharisees who are saying, "Why don't you follow?" the dietary laws because the disciples weren't following all of the dietary laws. And Jesus said, listen, it's not what goes into a man food-wise that makes him unclean because it's just going to be eliminated out of his body. It's just going to go through his stomach and out of his body, but it's what comes out of a man's heart and then out of his mouth that makes a man unclean. And then he lists all those things like fornication and adultery and murder and blasphemy. So he says, so in a sense, it's silly to think that the things you eat can truly make your heart unclean because it just passes straight through you. It's the things that come out of your heart and out of your mouth and out of your mind, the thoughts that proceed out of your mind and the words that proceed out of your heart, that's what truly makes a man unclean. And then Mark then says, therefore Jesus then makes all food clean. And so the dietary aspect of the law, just like the ceremonial aspect of the law, is no longer intact, is no longer binding. Okay, but the moral law, the first aspect of the law, this is the aspect, the division of the law that still remains intact. The behavior and the attitude of our hearts is still intact, and this is the importance, this is the significance of the Ten Commandments. Now, so what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments, strictly applying it to my life? These are moral principles, the, the moral aspect of the law is still intact, so what then is the purpose of the Old Testament law? Just like there are three divisions, there are also three purposes of the Ten Commandments, And here they are. Three, purpose of the, three purposes of the law: to explain what sin is, all right, to expose sin in us, and then to express our need for a savior. All right, so number one, to explain what sin is. The purpose of the Old Testament law, the first purpose, was to explain what sin was. When Moses, by the hand of God, gives the Ten Commandments, God is then explaining, if you violate these laws, this is called sin. This is called disobedience. All right, Paul, in Romans chapter 7, Romans 7, 7, Paul says, I would not have known, for example, what covetousness was if it weren't written in the law. All right, so I wouldn't even have... I wouldn't have even known what coveting was unless God just spelled it out for me. All right, It's the same thing as if you were driving on the highway, and I do this all the time. I'm trying to check the speed limit, and I can't, I can't find the, the, the speed limit sign to tell me you know, what, what's my range here. All right. So just as the law then explains what sin is, when you see a speed limit sign saying 55, that explains what the law is within that highway or within that road. And so the law, the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, explains what sin is to us. So God says, listen, when, when you disobey these ten things, when you disobey my law, this is what sin is, just like a road sign. It's explaining the law of the road. And then secondly, it's to expose sin in us. The law was intended to expose the sin within us. And I've used this illustration before. It's not original. I love it. The law is like a mirror. The law is like a mirror. When you go to a mirror after you've been playing in the yard, after you've been cutting the grass, after you've been playing volleyball, after you've been doing whatever, you go home and you look in the mirror. The mirror then reflects how dirty and how filthy you are. But how stupid would it be if you were then to go to the mirror and rub your face against the glass to be clean? All right, the law was never meant to cleanse us, it was only meant to to be a reflection of the dirt and filth that is on us. Then, to be cleansed, you go and take a shower. All right, you don't rub your face against the glass. That would be so so odd, that would be so stupid. So the law was never meant to fully save us. The law was never meant to fully bring us to right relationship with God. The law was strictly meant just to expose our filth, to expose our dirt, to expose our desperation to be cleansed. And um, Jesus... If I can find find the verse here, Jesus in, in or John rather in the Gospel of John in John one seven, he says the blood of Jesus Christ his son. Okay, the blood of Jesus Christ his son. He doesn't say the law of God. He says the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. All right. So is this making sense here? The law was never to cleanse us from sin, but merely to expose the sin within us. And then thirdly, the law was put in place by God the Ten Commandments to then express our need for a savior. Because when we go to the Ten Commandments and we see, okay, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not covet, check, check, check. All right, when we see all of the rules of God, the Ten Commandments, we then understand, I cannot uphold this perfect standard. I cannot uphold this, these Ten Commandments. I mean, it would be silly of me to think, That I could perfectly obtain and uphold all of these Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments then, when I see the Ten Commandments, I put the Ten Commandments up and then I I parallel it to the sins of my own heart. I see, God, I can't uphold this perfect standard here. I can't uphold every single law. Because the Bible in the New Testament also says, if you break one law, you are guilty of breaking them all. And so the law is only intended to then express our need to be saved. God, I can't uphold this perfect law. How then can I have right relationship with you? I need a mediator between you and me. I need a savior. So the law was to explain what sin is, to expose sin in me, and then to express my need for a savior. The law exposes our desperation for someone to save us from this burden. And God, knowing that we couldn't uphold this law to perfection, is the very reason that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take the burden on his back. Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins. Therefore, by Jesus Christ, we can be saved. And God then sees us as righteous, just as he sees his perfect son. So that was the whole intent of the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was only intended to point to the ultimate Savior, Jesus Christ. So how do these apply to my own life? How do the Ten Commandments then apply to my own life? Most of the time we think of laws as restrictive, as limiting, as really just party poopers kind of, you know, they they just limit my fun. I mean, rules in general, not even talking about the Ten Commandments specifically, but rules in general, they just limit my fun. I don't like rules because they limit what I can do. They put burdens and pressures on me. You know, they, they just limit all of the fun uh, that I want to do. But, all right, listen, this is, I'm going to kind of set up some context. So prior to Exodus chapter 19, going back to the book of Genesis, we see Abraham. All right, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And Abraham then had 12 sons, or Abraham had uh, Jacob, rather, and then Jacob had 12 sons, and then these 12 sons were the 12 tribes of Israel. So then within these 12 tribes, God then gives his law to Moses, and then he says, you know, kind of backing up even before then, uh, Joseph, Jacob has has Joseph, one of the 12 sons, and then Joseph goes down to Egypt, and many, know, many of you know this story. Joseph gets the coat of many colors, goes down to Egypt, and then uh, is sold into slavery by his brothers, go, is sold down to Egypt, then becomes a prominent person uh, in Egypt, second in all command to Pharaoh. And then Joseph, um, being in Egypt, then the Jewish nation uh, stays in Egypt, and they just become so populous that the Pharaoh then, uh, one Pharaoh dies, a new Pharaoh comes, He doesn't care about Joseph or any of the Jewish people. He sees them as a threat to the Egyptian nation, and then he enslaves the Jewish nation for over 400 years. All right, so many of you know this story, just catching up, you, uh, catching up those of you who don't know the story. Uh, These people then, uh, by Moses, when Moses comes to deliver his people by the command of God, God gives them, uh, God gives the nation of Israel these 12 plagues, and he says, let my people go. These people then part the Red Sea by the power of God, then enter into the wilderness, and God says, listen, I'm going to take you to a new land. This is where we just picked it up in Exodus 19. He says, listen, I've adopted you as children. You are my family. You are the nation, and I'm going to send you into a new and prosperous land. So why I, that, why I bring up that context is we have to understand the law from a loving heavenly father. We have to understand the law within the context of God has already set his children free, adopted his children from slavery, broken off chains, and then he says, I now want to give you laws and instructions for your benefit. Okay, because a lot of us have the mentality that God gave his people these laws to restrict them and limit their fun. Okay, that God came to his people and he says, here are your 10 commandments. If you obey these, then I will love you. Then I will adopt you as my children. Then I will set you free. But that's backwards, all right? God has already set them free from their slavery. He has broken off their chains. He has freed them from their bondage. He has adopted them as children. And now he says, listen, because I love you, I want to give you these instructions for your benefit, for um, for, uh, the benefit of, of your people because I love you. It's not the other way around. And we often get that confused that God set these commandments on them to test them. Listen, if you obey me, then I will call you my children. Then I will adopt you. So we have to understand the context in which God gave them these laws. All right. When I was four years old, and if you ever have kids, um, don't do this. When I was four years old, um, I was, and my mom is a little bit more of a free spirit uh, than my dad is, and I remember this. This was honestly one of my first memories. I'm four years old, and I'm sitting in the back of the car, and I asked my mom, Mom, can I drive? And she let me. She, um, just within the neighborhood, she unbuckled me from the back seat, sat me on her lap, and she would uh, press the, you know, the pedal down for us to go, and, and I would just steer the wheel. And so that's what my mom allowed me to do. I mean, honestly, within 10 seconds, I literally almost ran into our neighbor's house. <laughs> I was on the steering wheel for no more than 10 seconds, and I'm just you know a four-year-old just, just going, and I literally almost run us into the neighbor's house. All right, it was literally the next day where my dad then installed a, uh, installed a car seat uh, for me then to be buckled in. Now, I could have seen that car seat as, look at the oppression my parents are putting on me. Look at the restrictions my parents are putting on me. They're limiting my ability to express myself. They're l- limiting my ability of freedom. All right? But that's not honestly how my, obviously how my parents viewed the car seat. The, my parents viewed the car seat as something that would protect me for my own benefit. And so let's see the laws of God, the Ten Commandments, more or less as a car seat by which we don't have this dictator, angry God who just wants to put us in a car seat just for fun, but he wants to put us within, these, within this safety net, within this boundary, because of his love for us. All right, how many of you ran away when you were a kid? I loved running away for whatever reason when I was a kid. It was just fun. It was kind of fun to just see, you know, how, I, how do, do my parents really love me this much to come after me? And so, you know, I loved running away from the house as a kid, and I would, you know, I only needed two things. Uh, a pair of underwear, and my baseball trophies. That was all I needed. And so I'd pack the undies and the trophies in my bag, and I'd, I'd run off. A loving heavenly father, a loving father, and a loving earthly father then sees, because I love my child, And I don't want him to be in danger when he thinks he can run off without my guidance. I'm going to build a fence in the backyard and place my child in the backyard within the fence. Not because I don't love him, but the very opposite, because I do love him. You guys understanding this? So that freedom then is playing within the yard, within the boundaries of the fence. That's what true freedom is. Freedom is not jumping the fence to do whatever I want because that's going to be for my danger. Freedom is actually playing within the wonderful boundaries of the yard. And we have to see God's laws as a plank within the fence. We have to see God's 10 laws as those planks within the fence for our benefit, for our protection, because our Heavenly Father loves us. This is the context by which God presents the Ten Commandments to his people. Because I love you, because I want what's best for you, because I care about you as my children, here are these Ten Commandments for your benefit. And if you live by them, it will go well for you. Because a lot of us go into Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20, seeing God's laws as strictly laws from a God who just wants to limit our fun and freedom. And that is exactly the opposite. Because God cares about you, he gives us instruction from his word for us to abide by so that we might have freedom within the boundaries of his law. And so before we dive in over the next five weeks to our Ten Commandments series, it's important that we set up that context, that we see the Ten Commandments In a sense, as our heavenly father coming to us as his children and sitting us on the couch and kissing us on the forehead and saying, because I love you, here are some instructions for your benefit. This is what God does to the nation of Israel. Because I love you, because you're my children, here are some instructions for you. And so I just wanted to set up this context before we dive in over the next five weeks as we look into the next 10 commandments. We have to understand the heart of the lawgiver. Because if there's a disconnect from the heart of the law, we will, never truly un- we will never truly understand the heart of the law until we understand the heart of the lawgiver. We have to understand the heart of the lawgiver before we understand the heart of the law. And so tonight, my goal was to present to us, here is the heart of the lawgiver. Now let's dive into these laws and see how we can apply them and see how they will benefit us. And I want to end by reading from... David's words in Psalm 19. This is what David says about the law of God. He says in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Let's pray. Lord, we love your law, and we love your heart, Lord. And we understand that you have given us your law, that you have given us the moral aspect of the law because you love us and you want it to go well with us. You want us to be blessed in this lifetime. You want us to live an abundant life. And so I pray that as we go through your 10 commandments over the next five weeks, that we would always keep that in mind, keep the foundation in mind, that you love us and you'd like to protect us and you know what's best for us. Therefore, you have given us these instructions by which to live. I pray that we wouldn't see these laws as restrictions. I pray that we wouldn't see these laws as just a set of rules because you don't love us and because you're angry with us and because you want to limit our fun. But the opposite, Lord, that because you love us and because you want us to have fun and because you want us to be free, you have given us these laws as boundaries by which to live so that we won't end up being hurt, that we won't end up coming to our own destruction or demise. We love you God and and we love your law it's perfect Lord. And ultimately thank you God for sending your son Jesus Christ to fulfill the law because no one in this room is perfect enough to fulfill it in and of themselves. We are imperfect people. Therefore we needed a perfect savior to come and die on the cross for our sins that we might be seen as righteous before your eyes. Thank you God for sending your son Jesus. We love you God and we praise you. I pray over everyone in this room right now, I pray that you would just continue to minister to our hearts and continue to write your law upon our hearts, Lord, so that when we go out into the workplace and wherever, Lord, to our families, that we would constantly be reminded of your love for us and of your laws so that we might honor you within our lives, that we might pursue holy living. So we love you, God, and we commit our, our series to you now through the Ten Commandments. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen.